Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. If you're listening to McNamara on Money, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Thanks for joining me, everybody. I'm talking this morning about uh, financing, investing, um, amounts of debt to carry, to not carry, all sorts of discussions surrounding that. To, technically, I called today's show to borrow or not to borrow. That is the question. And my guest is a friend of mine and a, a fellow uh, board member on the Chamber of Commerce, Jeremy Devaney with uh, Fairway Mortgage. Good morning. Thanks again for being here. Um, and before we get back to that conversation, we, we were just getting into some like, you know, sort of options surrounding um, variable rate debts and, and some options regarding alleviating people of that risk. But before we get there, we have a couple of ladies joining us from the Marshfield High Business Program, and um, they have some announcements and some things that they want to talk about. And so welcome Mackenzie Murphy and Grace O'Hara. Good morning, ladies. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Anytime. And so you guys have the floor. So uh, what is it that, that what is it that you guys wanted to chat about today? So last year, our program is Marshfield DECA, and it's involving like business and entrepreneurships in the making. And so last year, we had a fully remote year, which meant 
all of our competitions and all of our like mock competitions had to be virtual. So we didn't get to do a lot of what we normally do, which involves like local businesses and other um, competitions. So, but this year we had over 130 members join and we're very eager to get back in the classroom. And this year we have a lot of opportunities for leadership exercises in the community involving small businesses. Wow. Yeah, so, Sorry to uh, interrupt, but 130 kids in the DECA program? That's amazing. It's pretty sufficient. And yeah. um, we have a mock competition, which all members go to. And then we have a district competition, which is with all the South Shore schools. And you compete for spots in the state competition. And then, then you compete for an international competition. Wow, fantastic. And are you guys, um, are you guys, what year are you in school? We're juniors. Awesome. And so you want to talk a little bit about, um, did you want to talk about the business program at the high school or did you want to talk about maybe some, um, some opportunities you're looking for in small businesses in the community? So, oh, background noise. Um, to talk about, um, opportunities to, um, connect with our community. So we're, DECA is always looking for local businesses um, to send out our members to and kind of observe their op their operations. And we would love to learn about it from hands-on experience. I find it much more um, beneficial than just learning from a sheet. Sorry, speaking of background noise. All right, go ahead, ladies. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Um, so if any local business leaders were looking for reaching out to the community back, we would love to have members come and watch their operations or maybe possibly be a judge at our mock competition, which is December 15th at our high school, which we joined with the Hanover DECA program. Um, and when is that? December what? 15th. Okay. And how can, how can businesses get in touch with you guys if they're interested? So there's about nine of us who are nine students um, who are on the DECA officer team. This is kind of like you would say like the presidents of it almost. Yeah. So we have taken initiative to each of us have been assigned to find two or more businesses that like we like and we have reached out to them. So we have about like nine or so businesses so far that are supporting um, DECA, but we've been reaching out to a lot and We've been like sending out emails and reaching out to a bunch of small businesses, uh, seeing if they were interested in our sponsorships, because we've had a lot over the past and we've been reaching out to old ones and we've been trying to find new ones throughout yeah. Michigan, other local towns. And is there, a is there a phone number or email that they can reach out to? Um, yes. So, no, that's for the high school. So um, we have a DECA email. I just have to access it real quick. <laughs> no worries. Well, the ladies are pulling it up, Alyssa. It's really a tremendous program. I've I've been a judge over there for the DECA events. Yeah. I, you volunteered for it before too. It's yep. It's, it's it, you you ladies are incredibly impressive at a really young age, and yeah. the, the entire group when when we sit down with them is folks in the community. Guys, it's just an amazing opportunity to give back to the high school in, in, in a very low-key way and get to enjoy these really bright, bright kids and hopefully give them a hand up on where they're heading in the future. So I, I would encourage everybody, get out there, sign up for this once the ladies uh, give you the contact information. They are an, an impressive group of young people. I have judged competitions as well, and 
um, was incredibly impressed by the level of professionalism and how eloquent um, they are. You know, you guys are when you speak to adults in particular, which which I, when you're a young person is is not always easy. And I, we didn't have Decker at my school when I was growing up. And even if we did, I wouldn't have joined. <laughs> I would have been way too nervous to, you know, to do that stuff and, you know, speak in front of a crowd and individuals and adults and things like that. But, you know, the things you wish you knew when you were younger, right? And and you guys have such a leg up against your peers when it comes to like interviewing for, you know, college is colleges and interviewing for jobs and things like that. So it's such a tremendous program and will do you so well uh, in the future. Yeah. Um, um, we both Mackenzie and I have found that doing this since freshman year, I mean, our first, what you do is like a role play. You kind of present, I'm sure both of you know, but mm-hmm. you kind of present, they give you a business situation and mm-hmm. you kind of tackle it and explain what you're going to do and why to a judge. And from freshman year, Mackenzie and I just learned just from going there and we feel a lot like of progress and talking to yeah. adults and talking about business. And I mean, it's built extreme confidence. Yeah. And it also opened up so many opportunities for us. I feel like without DECA, I feel like me and Grace kind of have a what, an idea of what we want to do when we're older. I think we both want to go into something business related. And I think mm-hmm. DECA, has really helped like pave that path for mm-hmm. us because we love the people. We love going to all these competitions. It's just such a great atmosphere to be a part of. And I'm so happy now that we get to be officers. It's just, it's really awesome to have something this like, like great of a program at your school. And it really helped me and Grace, I think, find what we love to do. That's so fantastic. I love it. Did you find that email address for DECA? So the email address for DECA, we're still unsure about, but our advisor is um, Mrs. Stanford at the high school and her email, you can easily access her and she'll send it right over to us. It is a Stanford and Stanford spell S-T-A-N-F-O-R-D at mpsd.org. Okay, perfect. So if any anyone listening out there is uh, owns a business or works at a business that might want to get involved with the DECA program at Marshfield High in terms of um, showing some of these young professionals around their business or judging competitions, um, please reach out. It's such a great program. I know Mrs. Stanford personally, as does Jeremy, um, and she's a wonderful person. Um, and loves what she does in running that program. And so please reach out to her, a Stanford at mpsd.org. Um, ladies, anything else you want to announce today? Um, we also just want to say that we focus so much on DECA and how it affects the business world, but we also try our best to venture outside of the business world. Like we run multiple community service programs that we've been starting up this month because November is actually DECA month. Um, and we love to socialize with older adults and prepare us for when we have to go out there and like use our jobs. Like I know Mackenzie and I both have jobs and I feel that DECA prepared me for talking to someone and kind of displaying myself and realizing like kind of convincing someone why I should work at their business. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, your communication skills are extraordinary, especially compared to your, to your peers in my experience. Um, where are you guys in terms of the competition? Like are most of your competitions going to be in the spring or are you guys already starting? Um, or like, is this your first one coming up in December? So our mock competition, it doesn't really count towards anything. It's just practice. That is in December, like we said. And then districts is in January. It's like all the South Shore schools. It's January 6th. It's like all the South Shore schools. And that's where you compete to earn a um, spot at states. 
and stays is like with everyone. Yeah. And, wow. And that's in February or March. Oh, okay. Really yeah. And then you have to qualify in states for ICDC, which is the international um, competition. Mm-hmm. And that's in April. And that is in Atlanta. So that's like our biggest competition that you have to qualify. And that's like the end competition. And it's in Atlanta this year. It's always a new location every year. Awesome. Well, good luck, ladies. Uh, We'll be thinking about you and rooting for you. And again, if any business owners or anyone uh, involved in business wants to help out with DECA at the high school, you can email astanford at mpsd.org. So thank you. That was Mackenzie Murphy and Grace O'Hara from Marshfield High DECA's program. Thanks, ladies. Have a good morning. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Oh, wasn't that adorable? They're so well-spoken. I was not that well-spoken when I was a teenager. There's yeah, no way. Incredible group, like just yeah. blown away. It, tell you what, I if you're a parent out there, it, get your kids involved in the program. But if you're a business owner and you're not involved in the program, you're missing out. These, yeah. these kids actually, I, I walk away each time I talk to them with <laughs> ideas for my own business. So it, it, it's a two-way street. There's a lot to be yeah. taken over. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to business, our business at hand, which was talking about loans and, um, uh, financing and, uh, balance, the balancing act that is paying down debt and building assets. Um, my guest this morning is Jeremy Devaney with Devaney. I was going to say with Devaney, well, you're with Fairway Mortgage. Your website is, uh, DevaneyMortgage.com. Um, I forget where we were before the break, (laughs) but we could, um, it was really, we we were diving, we were talking about adjustable rate mortgages. Oh yeah. You know, the the balance, the balance of the conversation has really been to, to broaden it out about conversations about goals. You know, it, it it starts with your financial advisor and it starts with your spouse or your partner, or it starts with you in a pad of paper or in a spreadsheet in in figuring out what do you want out of housing? What do you want out of life? Yeah. When I sit down with you, if if I'm going to ask you, do you see yourself in this same home that we're trying to purchase in three years, five years, 10 years? Yeah. Because Part of what I'm trying to do is make sure that we structure the financing for the appropriate time frame that you're going to have it. And, and it's important if you're going to start saving and investing to have an idea of what you're trying to achieve at the back end, right? Because what I find for most of my clients is that the conversation it changes when they know where they want to be at the end of it. It, it they don't have all this ambiguity about the variables at the beginning because we know what we have to achieve. If you leave the goals totally open-ended, the variables at the beginning are totally open-ended. Right. You can't yeah. constrain you at all. So it, you know, so, so let, so I, I want to get into some like case studies, right. And yeah, talk let's about, let's do it. But one, one more thing before we get there though, is I think it's really a really important part of the conversation again, to borrow or not to borrow. Right. What, what do I focus more on paying down my debt or building my down payment? Or do I focus more on building assets? A huge part of the conversation is human behavior. Yeah. So, right. We talked about, you know, potential return in the market. What's your interest rate on the debt? Um, what's, you know, we'll talk about what's, what's your life situation. Of course, it depends on that too, but it also depends on behavior. 
Mm-hmm. And and different people have different behaviors and different levels of, uh, I don't know, commitment or levels of responsibility. Um, and and which route to travel makes more sense for them, I think, does depend on behavior. Like some people, um, the people that will be successful um, let, let me just back up a sec. There will be some people where it will make the most sense to take a small mortgage, be, carry some debt, you know, interest rates are low, carry the debt and use your discretionary assets, use your discretionary income, excuse me, to build assets. There will be people that that makes sense for. Mathematically, it makes sense a lot of the time to, to go that route, especially if you're young, but yeah. it comes down to behavior. So if if the person or the couple is responsible enough to do that, then the strategy works. Right. But that's a strategy where, like, for example, if you're going to, you know, put a low down payment, take a bigger mortgage um, and and in use your I'm sorry, does I guess it doesn't matter the size of the mortgage or the down payment, but I guess I'm just going on this scenario where do I overpay the mortgage or not? Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to make sense to, again, mathematically um, use your discretionary cat. You'll make more headway generally over the long term. You'll make more headway saving and investing your money versus paying down the debt because debt has a low interest rate right now. Yeah. But, it, but it that strategy, whether it works or not, completely falls on the behavior of the person or the couple. Right. And I go back to, to goals, right? You, you have young children as well. I, I have an eight-year-old, a nearly five-year-old and a two-year-old. So, you know, I think as a parent, when, when we talk about like behavior and actions <laughs> and outcomes, it, it becomes really apparent, right? It, the kid wants to watch a TV show. You tell them to finish their breakfast and clean up their room when it doesn't happen, they don't get the TV show. When it does happen, they do it, it, you know, one plus one equals two. When we have these goal conversations, mapping that behavior, understanding the, the tendency for that, those behaviors is really important too. So some of what we talk about with our clients is, do you like to go out? Like, are, are you somebody that, that if you have a higher percentage of your income tied up in this property, you're going to be quote unquote house poor. You, you're not going to have like a big social life. You're not going to be going out to, you know, Morton steakhouse every single weekend or, or wherever. Um, it, so that behavior is very important in understanding how you're going to be able to achieve those goals. If yeah. somebody does, does have those tendencies to spend a little bit more and shopping is important to them or going out to the bars is important for them you need to, you need to really understand that up front and include that as a piece of their spending yeah. and, and preserve, because that, that behavior for them is really important. Right. So if we don't carve up somebody's budget, remember we started the conversation, this is really about taking a limited set of uh, resources and trying to figure out how to get somebody to their goals with it. Yeah. If, if, tickling your ego and actualizing of self is done through like going out and socializing or shopping, but let's plan for it. If, if, you know, owning a home is like the greatest thing in the world to your, your realization of self and like, let's make that front and center. But the clearer we can get about your goals and the more, more real a conversation we can have about 
what you want to achieve, the better we can help you with that behavior and really leave room for you to be free range if you tend to be free range. Yeah. I think there's also under the heading of behavior, I think there's also um, for, for those that choose the strategy to build assets over reducing debt. Mm-hmm. I think there's sometimes a um, perception of wealth yes. or a comfort. Uh, it, it'll, it'll provide a sense of comfort and that assets are of a certain size, but really you and I know that net worth is assets minus debts. Yeah. Right. So, so whether you're sending 2000 bucks a month to pay down your debt or adding 2000 bucks a month in the short term, anyway, your net worth doesn't change. Of course, over the long term, right. If there's investment appreciation, et cetera, that, that would change it. But, for but you, I, for, what? Throw you a wrinkle though. If we're talking about debt, we're talk, talking about levered and unlevered returns, right? It, the more leverage you have, the greater, greater your returns can be. And so maybe you can move that net worth needle more by taking on the additional leverage. Yeah. I guess if you're talking about taking on a purchase, like taking on a piece of real estate with a low down payment versus, I guess in my mind, I was thinking about like, you already have this property, you're 50 years old, for example, are you going to start paying down the debt or are you going to build your assets? Right. And and that is going in the opposite direction right now because they've become not complacent, but they've become less, less risk averse. And I've got clients that are taking cash out of their houses to put it, put to work into the market because they're a little bit behind on the retirement planning. They're very comfortable with their cash flow situation today. And so they can handle a bigger mortgage, no problem, but they know they've got a bigger bogey and it's like 10, 15 years out. And if they don't put money to work in the market, they're not going to be able to save to get there. They, they actually need market return to help them get there. Okay. That makes me a little bit nervous. Makes me a little bit nervous. But, I, I tend to be really conservative, but when you can borrow at three, 3% and invest at 11, you're going to pick up eight points a year. It makes me nervous because it falls under the heading of what we were talking about before the break and that people have been spoiled by certain things lately, mm-hmm. which are, which are very different from like, if we look all throughout history, right? 20, 30, 40, 50 years, some of the things that people have been spoiled by lately, we already talked about investment returns, low interest rates, but people are also been spoiled by, um, in, well, in the last 10 or 12 years anyway, by, by great real estate appreciation. And I, and I think that I, I I just, I think that people take that for granted. I know that long-term, you know, the long-term real estate appreciates, but increase, you know, becoming more and more leveraged as your real estate appreciates, it it makes me nervous because there can be periods of time where it doesn't. Unpack that. Where, if you were to play out a scenario in your mind, somebody that has say 50% equity in their home, they bought a house years ago for, for relatively cheap. They now have a $250,000 mortgage remaining on their $500,000 house. And they want to go and pull $150,000 out of it and take it right back up to what, what we'd call an 80 LTV loan to value goes to 80% from 50%. So you're going to take 30% out of your house, $150,000, put it into the market. What, 
for for your client over a 15 year time horizon is there a tremendous amount of risk what creates that risk maybe not maybe, i mean over the very long term like if they stay in that house and they don't touch the assets over a 15 year time horizon i understand mathematically but not all situations would be such that they would stay in that house And there will be time, like, again, I think just people have a higher tolerance for risk now than perhaps they should. Mm -hmm. And the people that are proceeding in that route aren't really thinking that, oh, the value of my house could go down at some point. What if I want to sell it and I can't because it's underwater? Right. right. So they're, they're taking on that risk. They're also yeah. taking on risk in the markets where, yes, uh, you know, over the long term, the, you know, that should work to their benefit. And, and you know, they're, hopefully they're invested appropriately and all that. But will there be periods of time in the short term, number one, that they are they prepared to see a significant downward fluctuation in that? Really, we haven't seen a lot of that in the last, you know, 10 years or, or a little bit more, will they behave properly at that time and not touch and not right and, and not sell at the bottom? And what will they leave? Will they have the strength to leave it alone? Mm-hmm. What watching it? Right. So that comes back to behavior. Right. Um, and I would add to that, will they actually leave it, actually leave it invested for 15 years? Right. Right? Because the, the type of investment that they're putting that money into is not a 401k. Right. It's a very accessible chunk of money mm-hmm. where, uh, where this is what I mean by can sort of create this feeling of wealth or comfort. Right. And, and that's the chunk of money that people go to for that second property or they use it to pay their kids college education because, right. you know, they didn't have a 529 or something like that. So it really wasn't for retirement. So I just, you know, I, I, I certainly think that there are times when that mathematically, I think that that works long-term. There's just so many variables and there's, there's, there's just a lot of extra risk in that strategy. It's, you know, you're, it comes, it comes back to what you described is it's a very individual conversation and yeah. very wrapped around your goals and your behavior. And, and then at the same time, there's, there's some basic guiding, basic guiding principles here that, that we can look at for just about anybody. And that, that's making sure that you're comfortable with the level of risk that you're taking. Yeah. Um, when it, it, there's a limited number of resources, right? People, people have assets tied up in their house. You were just talking about clients that are using their home equity to pay for college or for pay for retirement. We can move dollars around on our own personal balance sheets you just ultimately have to be comfortable with where you're holding them. Some yeah. people are very comfortable with, with, you know, having those assets be equity in your home. That's, that's the most comfortable place for them to store it. There's an incredibly high transaction cost to accessing that money. If you ever need it, mm. if you look at, you know, do you keep that cash sitting in your savings account? Well, there's an opportunity cost to having it in your savings account, right? Because you're probably getting negative real returns. You're, yeah. you're not even matching inflation. Right. So like, again, you're slowly moving out onto the curve, that risk curve to get that, that extra return. Yeah. You make decisions. So in a minute you're, you're suddenly back at, well, is it that crazy that people are taking money out of their houses to put it to work in whatever whatever investment market they're comfortable with. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, and, and there are, I'm certainly in many situations comfortable with people using equity in their home to pull off their goals. Yeah. Right. And, and, um, 
and with risk with great risk often comes great reward right so so like i said that strategy oh, can cer- certainly great work responsibility. <laughs> it is a higher risk strategy than for example them thinking about it in a different way where you know the more conservative route would be okay well they they had they're a little bit behind you know they're behind on retirement savings use extra cash right they just took on a bigger mortgage so they have more cash flow right yeah. use extra cash flow to build the assets if we fall short we'll use equity in the home later we'll downsize or we'll take a reverse in retirement nobody ever wants to do that though yeah. nobody ever wants to use their home equity as a retiree but so it's just interesting, but, but this younger set of people, right? This younger set of people wants to use their home equity for retirement, but nobody later in life wants to do that, which is very interesting, but they're, but they're a higher, but this is a class of people that's comfortable with a higher level of risk because the 30 somethings are invincible, right? And they, nothing, nothing as bad is ever going to happen. And they haven't witnessed a lot of terrible things in their adult life in the markets, right? Or the real estate markets. I think so. like, it definitely a shifting in mindset. And I want to be abundantly, abundantly have, Hold on. We have to take a break. Can you hold that thought until after the break? Um, we're, you're listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm chatting this morning with Jeremy Devaney, who's a loan officer with Fairway Mortgage. You can find out more about him at Devaney veinymortgage.com. We're talking about uh, to borrow or not to borrow. That is the question. We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from the scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Thanks for listening, everybody. My guest this morning, Jeremy Devaney with Fairway Mortgage, um, a colleague of mine, well, a friend of mine and, and a colleague on the Marshfield Chamber. Oh, the upcoming president of the Marshfield Chamber, most likely. That's the plan anyway. Thank you for relieving me of those duties. Um, it's, it's, it's been, it's been rewarding four years, but, but happy to pass the torch to you, uh, assuming that all happens, uh, after the January meeting, which I'm sure it will. Um, but we're talking today about, you know, just, just, just the, I don't know, like the age old question of what do I focus more on? What's more important, right? Paying down my debt or building my assets. What do I focus more on? Um, and we spent about 90 minutes setting the stage for that, but we want to get into some, you know, real life, like case studies for that. You had a good example. Um, well, it it was a little bit of a different, I was thinking of your Bitcoin, your Bitcoin client, but that has a little bit of a different scenario, but, um, you know, let's, rewind and I want to be abundantly clear to your, your listeners it, at no point am I advocating cashing out of your house and going and in, in investing while wildly. And, and, you know, you've got to, you've got to measure your own risk. Tolerance. Put it all in big. You're not saying put up cash out, go up to 90%, put on Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm glad you're not saying personally and individually. Like <laughs> my family is very conservative. Stuff. And we're talking about what the range of possibilities are and what, what we see out there and what folks are trying to do in whether you're using your equity in your home to buy a second home, mm. which is an investment, mm-hmm. or if you're using the money in your home to pay for your kid's college, which is an investment. Fair point. Yeah. Or if you're using it to put it into equities or, or crypto, or, you know, that's a risk decision. And, and you got to sit down with your financial advisor over at McNamara and figure <laughs> out what you're comfortable with, right? 
So it, I, I think folks really just need to, you, you've said it time and time again in this conversation, we've become very spoiled by market returns. Yeah. We need to be realistic about our timeline for performance and our expectation for returns and, and not put too much weight on what's happened recently and think more, more long-term about this. You know what? We were talking a little bit about things that scare us, right? Yeah. I think, I believe we can thank the federal government for the great market returns. So we're talking about being spoiled by market returns. Yeah. I think that's largely bolstered by the federal government and all the stimulus we've had, right? Sure. And people feeling wealthy and money in pockets and unemployment, you know, not working and still having lots of money and businesses, you know, be, you know, uh, being flush with cash and all these things. We can also thank the government for very low interest rates. Yeah. So we've been spoiled by interest rates. We could thank the, the federal government for that. Uh, and and I firmly, well, partially COVID related, but but largely interest rate related um, uh, reason for the real estate market being so hot. Like, why do we have so many buyers? Right. We know a lot of people left the city and people can now work from home and so they can have a second home. And, you know, I, I know there's buyers related to that. And so some COVID reasons. But if interest rates weren't so low, I don't think we'd have the buyers necessarily would have the same level of buyers. Right. So so I think we can thank the federal government largely for this real estate boom as well. So I'll, I'll play devil's advocate and try to poke a, a little hole in that. So All right. Demographically, we have people that are entering the age where they need housing. And so, but we've always had, but we've always had that. Always will. Right? Yeah. And people shift back and forth from renting to owning. And so, but the people that are renting are renting from people that own the properties. There's, there's always an owner of a property, whether it's yeah. you or whether it's somebody else. And so okay. you know, kind of tick along at the same rate of supply. And so as long as there's housing being built and owned, there's going to be people that are transacting in it. Yeah. And so it, it gets a little confusing to say that there's more demand or less demand. I think you have to look at the demographics and you have to look at the housing stock. And that tells you where your supply and demand equilibrium is. And right, right now we aren't having a tremendous amount of building. And so that's where we're getting the supply constraints. Demographics are going to continue. We're all okay. going to continue to have 1.5 children a year in perpetuity or whatever the, the you know, the, the Fed and the, uh, the, the, the census say we're having these days. Is it 1.5? I thought it was 2.1. Is it 2.1? I, I, I don't know what the latest number was. Oh, okay. The census. Well, if it was, if it was 1.5 per married couple, then we would, then over time we would see a decrease in the population. Sure, but I don't sure. think if I thought it was more than two. So, is, but we're always going to have new entrants into the market. Yeah. We're always going to have people that are exiting the market at end of life. And so it, we're, we're, if the population's growing and housing stock's not growing, then prices are going to go up. Okay. So our, I don't know the housing stats, like the new, new building, there's some, st there, I'm sure there's like 10 stats yeah. surrounding that. Right. So is, is new construction down pretty significantly compared to it, averages? It, it, yeah, it was relatively constrained prior to COVID. Okay. Uh, again, let's, talk, let's talk specific to our markets here, Eastern Massachusetts. It was relatively constrained. And that's why we had a, a huge housing crisis inside of 128. 
And we started to hear a lot of rhetoric out of City Hall in Boston about the housing crisis and stimulating the housing market and, and trying to move investors out of the market and have you know owners come into the market, which again, housing's housing. You're either a renter or an owner. You got to live yeah. somewhere. So I, I didn't see a lot of utility in that. But now with COVID, we, we had a, a housing market that couldn't grow. Like we, we had construction sites in the city shut down for greater than six months in 2020. Right. For and employment that, reasons. Yeah. Yeah. All that has to come back online. And, and we've got the Northern border that's been really difficult to work with. So a lot of lumber constraints in, in that market, we've got employment constraints in that market where a mm. lot of, a lot of our uh, migrant labor pool ha- has not come back or participated like, like it once did. Um, and then you've got pent up demand kind of constraint issues. So one of the things we see all the time on, on the lending side is as these properties are coming to market, a lot of the towns are struggling with their building inspection and their board of health yeah. staff yeah. to process this new surge of, of properties that are going to come through. Okay. Um, so the market will get back to normal. There will be built better construction numbers in, but I, I think demand's going to kind of keep going up and to the right. If, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if like, uh, since all these more moratoriums expired on um, tenants, right. I was wondering if we would start to see um, some more supply related to just landlords, just wanting to get, I don't want to be a landlord anymore. This is garbage. I don't want to go through another situation like that. And, you know, selling off investment properties, I was starting to wonder if we might see some stuff like that. But as far as I know, we haven't really seen any significant swing related to that. It's still, it's still relatively early days. Yeah. Cause that was, those were just what a month or two ago that those, those were expiring. Yeah. About six weeks ago now. So when, when those moratoriums ended, it was talked about a lot. But I think there's also this idea that people do want to stay invested in the real estate market. There's people that don't want to exit. Mm. And in fact, are calling me to find out how do I invest in real estate? Can, can I buy something? Can I get in the market? Um, oh my God. Yeah. Can I buy a second home and down on the Cape and rent it out Airbnb part-time or, you know, up in New Hampshire as a ski condo and rent it out or down in Florida and, and use it as my retirement home longer term. Yeah. So kind of house hacking ideas. Um, you, there's, there's so much demand and so much cash out there. I think until the cash supply tightens up, we're probably not going to see the demand go away. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we can thank the, gov- the federal government for all that supply of cash. Totally. That's, ca- that's causing this demand. And there's likely readers or listeners out, out there lighting their hair on fire, listening to us talk about, you know, how much cash is the federal government's let out. Keep, keep in mind, I have this conversation within uh, an options trader who is an early mentor to me. He's, he's from London. So he looks at things a little bit more globally. Mm. Everybody is printing money. And if mm. we do it on parity to everybody else in the world, then we're not really changing the status of the dollar globally. Right. Yeah. So, fair enough. Yeah. You know, if everybody's printing, there's going to be an asset an asset bubble that comes up here, but employment numbers are great and people are getting yeah. healthier and hopefully the COVID numbers continue to go down. And yeah. Yeah. What's the next black swan? Yeah. What's, what's going to take out the legs of the market next. We don't know. That's the thing about the markets. We never know what's going to affect them next. All right. We got to get into our case studies. We only have like 15 minutes, Jeremy. 
Um, all right. Young, young person, 20 or 30 something. Um, first t- doesn't own a property yet. Sure. Um, what we already sort of talked about this, like what size down payment to target, what savings yeah. rate, you know, what savings rate to target in 401k ideal amount of cash, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is a person where, you know, the, these younger buyers, younger homeowners, um, these are the people where, being leveraged and investing your extra cash in the markets should work out to your benefit long-term, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, other than the fact that uh, today's market is bonkers and you need a huge down payment generally to buy something, but in a normal market, my advice to those young people would be, you know, if, if you're not going to achieve the 20% down to avoid PMI, right, then talk right. to your loan officer. Maybe you're just looking for 5% down or 10% or something, but, but pump your money into retirement, like get, get, you know, get your 401k to 10 or 15%, you know, be saving your dollars. And I would focus less on a huge down payment for, for the late, you know, the mid late 20 somethings and the early 30 somethings. That's, although that's, market dependent right right? because a lot of what we talk about is is related to quote-unquote time value of money Uh when you're when you're mid-20s to early 30s you're planning out for retirement you've got you've got a huge opportunity to put cash in early and just let Mm. it work for you oh yeah um and and to put the, the dot on the eye for you for, for again, for down payments, if you're a first time home buyer, 3% for conventional, 3.5% for FHA. There's specialty programs out there that can help you with down payment assistance if you're a well qualified borrower with limited income. So, you know, have a real deep conversation with a loan officer. There's resources out there for you to be able to access the housing market. For I've got clients buying five hundred thousand dollars houses for less than thirty thousand bucks, and that's all in. Folks can can do it even on a limited limited basis, a limited income basis. Yeah. Um, for those early days, though, you know, make sure that you save yourself plenty of your cash flow to do these other other goals to to take care of that retirement savings. You don't want to go out and spend forty percent of your gross monthly income on housing because you won't have a penny left over to do anything else with. You can qualify. Yeah. Yeah. You can qualify. But like we said in the Olympics, qualify, qualifying doesn't mean winning. Yeah. Um, so in the finance Olympics, you want to make sure you give yourself the real opportunity to succeed. And that's kind of making sure you have a reasonable housing payment relative to your income. Yeah. So 3%, 3.5%. 5% programs out there, 0% down programs out there. We've, we've got them all right now. To avoid PMI, you need to get to 20% down. So PMI, private mortgage insurance, it's just an insurance policy that borrowers are required to have to protect the lender against your possible default. When you only have 3% in the house and the lender has 97%, mm. if something were to go wrong and stuff hit the fan, the, the lender wants to make sure that the mortgage do, doesn't go into arrears. And so the way that that's done is by using something called private mortgage insurance. It protects the equity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you met, you brought up a really good point about um, 
um, I, I forget the word you use, but you brought up a good point about these young people and how important it is to save early in life. And this like compounding of interest over a long period of time is so powerful. Even if the markets aren't 16% per year, right. For the next 40 years, even if they revert back to long-term averages of 10 or 12% per year, that compounding over time is so powerful. And the, and the harder you can work to build your assets earlier in life, the, the more, the more your assets can work for you, Right. right. The people that build early, don't have to and, and have compounding interest over a longer period of time on a larger amount of money. Mm-hmm. Don't have to work and save. I shouldn't say work, but don't have to save as hard in terms of actual dollars versus someone who starts later in life. So the, the young people, you know, my general advice is get yourself on track to get a good, healthy amount, you know, tucked away in retirement. I would say 10 to 12 to 15%. If you really want, if you really have room to go there, um, and, you know, of course, make sure you have emergency cash and all that, but keep your down payment, you know, small ish and, mm-hmm. and use your assets um, and take advantage of that compounding interest over time. Not guaranteed, of course. Um, OK, so that one's that one's relatively simple, I think. I think where there's like this and, and I think for the, the conversation regarding older clients is also kind of simple. And, and my advice generally is the opposite. But there's this gray area, I think, with like the 40 somethings and, sure. and like the I don't know, 38 to I don't know, I guess 40 to 52 or something like that. There's, there's sort of this gray area on uh, in terms of, well, what what really is the best? And, and of course, it comes down to you know, goals. We talked all about like, well, what are your life goals? Right. I have some late 30 and early 40 something clients that have, you know, that have this desire to retire early and they have great cash flow and a great ability to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, their time, right. If you're 40 and, and you're 45 and you're trying to retire at 55, your time horizon isn't all that long. <laughs> and right. so, you know, the people that have the longer time horizons, the strategy of, you know, invest your surplus money. Don't worry so much on paying down debt. That's where it works. When your time horizon gets shorter and you don't have as much time to take advantage of compounding interest in the markets. And also your investment strategy should be more conservative as your time horizon gets shorter um, or less aggressive. I should say your strategy should get less aggressive with some of your money Then your ability to out earn interest on the mortgage. It just, it just lessens. And so, and, and you're getting to a point in your life where it'll just going to feel better to have less debt. So, um, so it all depends, but I think that like, that's where the gray area is like what does that 45 to 50 year old do it depends it depends on your interest rate your goals when are you going to retire do you have kids that are going to go to college right are you going to move and all that stuff but that's a tough one and totally an individual conversation from from my perspective and that that conversation is the most important part of it i find a lot of my clients are more open to that kind of thinking than in the goal setting thinking in really sitting down and playing out a couple of different scenarios versus some of my younger clients just don't have the vision yet to see that far out. Mm-hmm. You know, you've made a lot of life decisions by the time you reach your, your early forties or your mid forties. And so at that point, your child, child having years are largely behind you. And a lot of these pieces on the playing board have been set. So, so the range of options become much more limited mm-hmm. when you take some of that stuff off the table. Um, when we get to the mid forties, 
we're really talking with our clients about where are they in terms of assets? Have they, have they taken the last 15 years and achieved what they wanted to achieve financially? Or are you behind the eight ball now and playing catch up? Um, and, and it runs the gamut. We, we were talking about the, uh, the feds, Fred data earlier with about mm-hmm. the personal savings and the consumer debt. Things have gotten better for a lot of families, surprisingly, through COVID because they've just saved more and become more conservative in their saving behaviors. Yeah. Um, so we have seen some of our clients coming to us with a little bit more in assets than we, we did historically. Okay. But there's a lot of folks out there that are horribly underprepared for retirement are, and are sitting in a similar seat. And, you know, they, they have really nice things around them, but they've largely spent their money other than investing it. Um, so they're, they're living and enjoying life today, but now it's time to get really sharp about how do I make this happen in 15, 20 years to stop the rat race? Yeah. Um, I, I think the conversation is pretty easy when it comes to the people like 55 plus, right? Because again, when it comes to time horizon till retirement, generally shorter for those people. Right. And that's, and that's a time in your life when I think just mathematically speaking, but also emotionally speaking, it's just, it, it's, it's more comfortable to focus on debt reduction. Even if it's a relatively low interest rate, I think it's, it generally makes sense to focus on debt reduction, right? Overpaying the mortgage versus because if you're, if your time horizon is shorter, like I said, you don't have as much time to take advantage of the markets and you mm-hmm. won't make as much headway in the markets versus someone who's 20 years younger, right? And, and has more time to take advantage of that compounding. So, I mean, I'm assuming your advice is the same. Generally, your older clients are, you know, larger if they're making a real estate move or whatever, larger cash down, you know, keep the, the mortgage small, you know, can control the um, you know, buying in mind cash flow and debt reduction as they approach retirement, unless it's a second property. And then I think it's a different discussion for the, for older clients. I really dive deep on the cash flow aspects of it because there, there's usually a bright line as we enter retirement where, where you have a fixed income. Not everybody has you know, infinite amounts of assets to draw on and can have, have their monthly income be whatever they want it to be. Usually it's very, very defined and usually relatively limited. And so under those circumstances where you're trying to limit your, your monthly costs, paying down the debt makes a ton of sense because you need to make the most of that monthly fixed cash flow that you're going to have in retirement. For some folks, though, where where they have really healthy retirement accounts and they don't have to worry about the month to month, they can handle everything. Their their income's really not going to change much from their working life to their retired life. Mm-hmm. Listen, when you die, your estate gets handled handled, and and your debt gets extinguished within your estate, and and you can refinance that, or or the estate can handle paying off the mortgage. It, there's I recently sat down and talked to my parents about this situation and and there's a lot of opportunity for their money to continue to be in retirement accounts and continue to grow and let the estate, you know, do what it's going to do and pass on whatever assets remain after it's done. It, It doesn't, it doesn't have to be dealt with today. They can manage their cash flow in retirement. Um, 
for, for a lot of folks though, it really comes down to, you don't have much social security income. You've got a 401k payout. You might have a pension payout and you know, to the dollar, how much you're going to earn every month. Those circumstances, lighten your debt load, make the most of every yeah. buck that you can. I think it's like, again, when we're talking about these older uh, pre-retirees, right? So I, I guess I would call that like the 55 plus, like when, it's it's an easy conversation when the debt is of a manageable size, mm-hmm. right? So 55, you know, I don't know, the mortgage, $150,000, right? Like, you know, I, something like that where it's a fairly manageable size debt, focus on debt reduction. When the debt reduction is actually achievable around yeah. the retirement age, there's this whole other class of pre-retirees where we're overpaying the mortgage, if it's not even going to help you achieve debt reduction by retirement, right. then it might not even be worth it. And, and then you're having conversations about, well, then are you stretching out the debt and lowering your, lowering your payment? Cause you're never, you're probably not able to pay this off by retirement anyway. It's never going to go away. Right? right. So, so there's kind of two different sides of, of that discussion as well, based on the situation, the ability to pay down the debt, the size of the debt. And, you know, sitting at 55, well, well, we say you're, you're pre-retirement, you're, it's still 12, 12 years, 12 and a half years from social security age. Eh? You're, you're still relatively long-term. If you don't have a giant chunk of assets behind you, it, it, then, then you need to start coming up with strategies at that point, it, because you have the time to deal with these problems. Um, you've got the time to start putting in place a plan. It's not too late. You still have 12 years. And, and then at the same time, those folks really importantly need to start thinking about I'm working today. I'm actually a good borrower today. Yeah. To deal with restructuring this whole situation. Yeah, fair enough. My worst fear is the person that retires and calls me two months later to go, I needed to lower my mortgage because um, yeah. they don't have any income. They, they've got social security income or everything. But if you're, if you're in a situation where your cash flow is really crimped, and you're in retirement already, we, we might have to go looking for a co-bar or to co-sign with you because on paper, you don't have the income to qualify anymore. Mm, yeah. So, you know, while you're working, I'm going to be talking about how to set up these financing situations, not when you're retired already. Yeah. If you're retired already, we need you to have sufficient income to, to be able to have you as a borrower. You have to have the ability to repay the debt. But retirees, like if they, if a retiree has substantial assets is qualifying, is qualifying for a mortgage and issue. Like if they have two social securities, a small pension and a million and a half dollars. Sure. So it, it, again, it depends. Can you answer that in 20 seconds? 20 seconds. Yes. So if you've got cash flow, we, we can work with you. If you've got assets, you can do things to draw on the assets. Structured a, a withdrawal from the assets to be income. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. have your financial yeah. advisor kind of let a yeah. saying you draw an annuity of X. Yeah, I've done that before. Okay. Um, all right. That is our time, Jeremy. Thank you so much for being here. Um, you're listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. It always flies by at the end. The beginning is like, Oh, you got to talk for two hours. And then the end is just, where did the time go? Right. We had so much, so fun. much fun. So much fun. Thanks for having um, me. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Jeremy Devaney with Ferry Mortgage. You can find out more about him at DevaneyMortgage.com. That's D-E-V-A-N-E-Y mortgage.com. You can find out more about me at McNamara Financial. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jeremy.